Hello world. Before we begin, I want to say thank you for downloading The Big Fat Future. I know podcasts take up precious room on your phone, or if you're streaming this, precious chunks of your data plan. And if you're anything like me, I know you did not make this choice lightly. So again, thank you. I hope I'm worth every megabyte. And what you're listening to is the very first episode of the Big Fat Future podcast. It's going to be a weekly show about, well, you guessed it, the future. It's about where we're going and what we might see when we get there. So in the coming episodes, you're going to hear about people and ideas and technology and history and a bunch of other stuff in our pursuit of figuring out where we might be headed and how we might be able to affect that journey if we want to. But this is an introduction episode, so you're likely wondering who I am. Well, where are my manners? My name is Matt Shaw. It's very nice to meet you. And I promise I'm not anything special. I work in advertising, uh, but I'm also a father of three and a husband. Let's see, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm a little bit bigger than most, hence the fat in Big Fat Future. Uh, so me, I'm, I'm just a normal guy uh, and maybe a little more curious than is reasonable. Uh, I'm definitely not a radio celebrity. Uh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a developer. I'm just a guy who thinks a lot about the future. And I mean, this is a podcast, so I guess it's also true that I like the sound of my own voice. So there you go. That's me. And this is The Big Fat Future. Now, I don't know about you, but I love introduction episodes. I especially like the ones that give a sense of structure. Like this is a podcast about this thing, and your host is this person who has these credentials, and these are the segments of the podcast, and these are the kinds of guests we're going to have on, and so on. I like introduction episodes because they give a sense of identity. Uh, they establish who the podcaster is and what the show is about. Uh, but maybe more importantly, for us listeners, they help us identify who we are. So if you listen to a show like, I don't know, Freakonomics Radio, which, by the way, I very highly recommend... Uh, then maybe you're the kind of curious person who asks why things happen. Or if you listen to, um, let's see, Vox's The Weeds, um, also very highly recommended, then maybe you're more of a solutions-minded person looking for answers to important public policy questions, and so on. So what kind of person are you, listener, who took a chance and downloaded the first episode of The Big Fat Future? Who are you? Isn't that an awesome question? It's one of my favorites. Who are you? That's a really hard question to answer, isn't it? Like, if someone walked up to you on the street and said, who are you, once the initial surprise wore off, uh, you probably find yourself stumbling for some kind of cobbled-together answer. If you remember um, in Alice in Wonderland, um, you, you might recall the scene between Alice and the caterpillar where the caterpillar repeatedly asks, who are you? And Alice's unable to come up with a satisfactory answer. So who are you is a really important question to answer, and especially for an introduction episode like this. Uh, but it's also a very difficult question to answer. So where do we go when we have important questions that are very difficult to answer? Why, we go to the internet, of course. But what can the internet tell us about ourselves? Well, I've got some thoughts on that. I mean, of course I do, this is my podcast. And where better on the internet to turn when we have questions about our identity than to the place where our online identities are born, 
to the origins of social media. So let's go back to the late 90s and early 2000s when we began to understand that the internet wasn't just websites and email. In fact, around this time, many of us started to understand that there were really two different internets, and there was one for publishing and consuming information, and there was another one for conversation. You could call them maybe the broadcast internet and the social internet. And the promise of the broadcast internet felt really familiar. Sure, it was all the information you could ever want to consume right at your fingertips, but at its core, the broadcast internet promised the same thing that like a membership to a really good library did, which was access to a really vast store of knowledge from around the world. The internet just happened to do it better, right? It was the best library in the known universe. So that was the promise of the broadcast internet. But the promise of the social internet was that it empowered people to start and to contribute to conversations that otherwise they would not have had access to. So this is a wholly different promise, right? Unlike the broadcast internet that offered us uh, easier access to a relatively static body of knowledge, the social internet gave us the ability to have dynamic conversations with people who we never would have known existed. In other words, the broadcast internet offered us expertise, the social internet offered us experts. So at the turn of the millennium, both halves of the internet encourage us to become explorers. The whole of human knowledge, or, or most of it, was at our fingertips, and the experts who dealt in that knowledge every day chatted in niche forums with regular folks just like you. And the best part was that no one had to know what you were up to, right? You could participate in these vibrant communities of like-minded people without revealing your nerdy passions to the world at large. Right, so I, for one, spent a lot of time hanging out with fellow Star Wars fans in a group called Star Wars Unlimited, or the SWU. Uh, it's now defunct, I think, um, although if there are any SWU members listening to this, let's get the gang back together. I was particularly interested in uh, writing Star Wars fan fiction, and I would participate in these months-long RPG-style writing sessions where I would tell the story from one character's point of view, and another fan would tell the same story from another character's point of view, and we'd write stories paragraph by paragraph via email, each person replying all to the previous email and adding their contribution. And it was a really unique format, and to this day, it's still the most fun I've ever had writing. Um, this was a group of childhood friends, right? These were real friends to me, um, but they existed almost entirely online. I would have been way too embarrassed to admit what I was doing to my real-life friends or my real-life family. I could hear what they'd say, you write stories about Star Wars? What a weirdo. So that's what was great about the social internet. I could be an amateur Star Wars fanfiction writer, and no one ever had to know about it until I put it on a podcast. But the point was that my online self is completely isolated from my offline self. And that was true of everyone in the SWU. We could be our authentic selves, and no one outside of our group had to know about it. If I'm being honest, I think we reveled in the opportunity to experience people being authentically passionate, maybe because there were so few authentically passionate people in our offline lives. And maybe that was true because we tend to temper our passions in our real-life interactions with others in an effort to appear more, I don't know, approachable or normal. So to take this idea further, this idea of empowerment by anonymity, 
the theoretical benefit of the social internet was that we started experiencing others. And as we did so, we could gain a perspective that was typically denied to us either due to social norms like fear of being ridiculed or practical limitations because like how do you find Star Wars fan fiction writers who are scattered all over the world if not using the internet. So in theory, we were all gaining perspective and that perspective was supposed to be beneficial because the more you know about others, the more you know about the world and the more you know about the world, the better equipped you are to make decisions. But in order to know others, you have to experience them authentically. And the anonymity of the early social internet provided the perfect conditions for anonymously expressing your authentic self or a version of your authentic self anyway. But let's back up a second. The social internet wasn't just for being anonymous. It was for experiencing everything. So I wasn't just establishing a niche identity as a Star Wars fan fiction writer. I was also connecting with other people about music and sports and other things that I was also engaging with in real life. And this was true of just about everyone. In many ways, your online identity was a simple extension of your offline self. For instance, if you liked grunge music offline, you liked it online too. If you liked the Celtics, you wouldn't pretend to be a Hawks fan when you were online. Or if you did, you were probably outside the norm. So let's wrap up this idea. At the dawn of the social internet, your identity was a combination of both your public and your hidden selves. In experiencing people and places and things both digitally and in real life, you could craft your own identity and that carefully crafted you could be made up of just about anything you wanted it to be. So Mark Zuckerberg had a related idea when he created the open graph. So here he is talking about it at F8 in 2010. Now, one of the core ideas of the social graph is that a person or object is really defined by the other things that they're connected to in the relationships in the world that they have. So in the graph, that's me. And um, who I am defined by, what I'm defined by, are you know, the people I spend time with, the things that I work on. You know, I am friends with Chris Cox. I live in Palo Alto. I eat a lot of fried chicken. <laughs> um, um, so that's me. This is me in the graph. This is a really interesting notion because while at first it seems logical, when you think about it, it's also fundamentally at odds with the promise of the social internet because, yes, as people like Jim Rohn have said, uh, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You, as an individual, reflect the traits of the people who you choose to interact with the most. Or as Mark Zuckerberg might say, you are defined by the other nodes you connect to, whether they are people or places or abstractions. You are what you eat and where you eat it and who you eat it with and so on. But on the other hand, that's a very static view of the self. Does that view represent you in totality? Does it take into account the things that you wish you were? The things that the internet promised that you could be? Are those things even really part of your identity? So let's dig in a little deeper. I remember AOL chat rooms really well. I remember my first username. It was uh, musicwiz1. Don't bother looking it up. It's uh, deleted, I think. I remember the cute little nuances of conversation, like ASL, AFK, BBL, and so on. Some of those have survived, and many have not, and I feel both nostalgic and grateful for that. But on AOL, we were a tribe. We were creating our own language. There were emoticons and dialects, like leet, oh, 
God. Do you remember Leet speak? Jeez. And there were these um, unassailable social norms, and they were enforced by these uh, godlike admins. Um, and we lied a lot, too. We bolstered our own cred by uh, fabricating these complex backstories. And whether that meant lying about our age or our careers or even our gender, uh, anything could have been true in a chat room or forum. And that was part of the allure of the internet. You could be anything. And games, of course, played into that. You want to be a troll or an orc? an elf or a tentacled space critter? You want to be a transvestite transmission transporter from Transylvania? Sure. Go nuts. No one cares. Haters get blocked. And likewise, you want to nerd out with a thousand randos in a deep sub-forum about that one weird, quirky thing that you thought only you cared about? Well, yeah, there's a thread for that. So eventually you stopped lying in chat rooms, and partly because you figured out you didn't really need to. Uh, the internet wasn't a competition. You weren't losing. You could never win. And it's in that way that the social internet fulfilled its promise to allow us to be whoever we wanted to be, shamelessly, if not proudly, and openly, if sometimes anonymously. You just sort of existed in all of your fetishistic nerdiness. But the question that has persisted is this. Is that person, the one that I painstakingly crafted online in almost total anonymity. Is that person the real me? Fast forward to the present. Facebook requires you to use your real name. You hook everything you use, your music service, your photo sharing service, your payment services. You link all of those to your Facebook account. And you probably even link to Facebook from your so-called anonymous accounts like Twitter. And that means that I'm probably two clicks away from knowing your real name at any point in time. And you know this, and you're fine with it, because being non-anonymous makes it easier to buy things and consume things and get recommendations for things. It makes it easier to exist on Facebook's open graph, and many other social graphs for that matter. It also makes it easier for friends to find you. It makes it easier to construct uh, tight little spheres of the things that you love the most, and that's pretty cool. So Mark Zuckerberg's open graph has turned you into this, uh, this magnet that attracts the things that are core to your identity. It surrounds you with you-ness. But what about that person that you were in the past? Or the person that you might become in the future? Or that fantasy persona you constructed for yourself? Well, Facebook doesn't really have a way of knowing those people. All Facebook knows is that right now you care about this news and you're into this kind of music and you hang out with these people at these places. It's what you just did and what you're just about to do. That's who you are right now. That's you in the Facebook era. So that 14-year-old who squatted on the family phone line until 2 a.m. chatting to, I don't know, steam engines for life about turn-of-the-century locomotion? Well, that kid's gone. And so is Steam Engines for Life, and so are many of the places that allowed both of you to exist. See, Facebook isn't for sharing those niche, nerdy passions. It's for posting pictures of the kids or painstakingly lit photographs of food, right? Facebook is for showing the world the best of who you are right now. And AOL, by comparison, was for figuring out who you could become. So the question, then, is this. Who am I, after all? Who are you? Am I Matt Shaw? Or am I Music Wiz One? 
I can't be both. I mean, they're wildly different people. So am I the person whose passions were enabled by the anonymity of the social internet? Am I my desires fulfilled or otherwise? Am I my potential? Am I my avatar inhibited by these pesky IRL social constructs? Or conversely, am I the person who is defined by his interactions? Am I a node surrounded by the things that I love, curating my outward-facing self to reinforce what others believe to be true about me and what I feel comfortable sharing about myself, what I can demonstrate to be true about me. So I guess the question is, is my online self my real self? So I think I know the answer for me, but what about you? Who are you? See, I told you it was a great question. The idea of identity is really important for the purposes of this podcast, because really, we could talk all we want about what the future might look like, but unless we really understand our place in it, what does it matter? I tend to nerd out a little bit too much at the idea of how we use the internet to define who we are, so we'll definitely revisit this topic. Uh, In the next episode, we're going to talk about how we might be able to revive the promise of the social internet, the promise of empowerment by anonymity. But if that's not your thing, don't worry. I promise there's something for everyone in the big fat future. So, hey, that's the end of the first episode. I hope that this episode gave you a sense of what I'll be up to. And more importantly, I hope that you take this opportunity to think a little bit about yourself, who you are and what's important to you and how that comes to life online. Because after all, there's no future without you in it. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Shaw. And this is The Big Fat Future.